Welcome to part two of our Handelsbank and Insights property special. Our Chief UK Economist, James Sproul, and Lucian Cook, Head of UK Residential Research at Savills, talk about the future for buy-to-let and share what they'll be looking at for hints about the direction of the market. You can also listen to part one on the Handelsbank and Insights Economic Update podcast feed. Buy-to-let is an area that we have a, a lot of interest in. Um, the increase in interest rates is putting pressure on the yields, not to mention there are lots of new rules coming in, like the enhanced sustainability measures, the energy performance certificates uh, rules. Some landlords must be thinking, is, is buy-to-let still for me? I mean, is it still an attractive investment? Well, look, I, I think it really depends on your individual financial circumstances. There is very little doubt that those sort of amateur buy-to-let investors who still carry quite a lot of mortgage debt are finding things quite difficult. A higher interest rate environment, a sharp increase in mortgage costs if they come to their fixed rate mortgage. They're not getting full tax relief on that in all likelihood. They have seen some strong rental growth, but that's not really going to fully offset the pressure on their finances. And of course, it comes at a time when we've got the renters reform bill. So that's going to see the end of a short, short old tenancy agreements. And as you've said in the background, the looming prospect that they might have to put their hand in their pockets to upgrade the energy efficiency of their home. And so I think some of those investors will actually say, do you know what? It was great while it lasted. It's helped me build up a nice pool of wealth um, to take me into retirement, but but now's the time I'm going to have a look. On the other side, you've got bigger investors who've been in it for longer. They've built up more equity. They're more comfortable with the sector. Generally, they can probably diversify their risk across a range of properties. Um, and I think as a consequence, some of those actually we know just from the people we speak to when we go and, and do um, when we do seminars across the country, and James and I have done a few together, some of them see it as an opportunity actually to increase their portfolio. Um, and when I read Handel's Bank and Private Landlord Survey, and it was largely slightly bigger landlords who were responding to that, you know, that was one of the things that really stuck out to me. This is not one size fits all. Yes, there will be pressure on some buy to that investors. Yes, you will see more stock come to the market, but that is not that is not going to be the picture across the board. That's it, though, isn't it? The, the fact that you have to be a very pragmatic person to be a, a buy-to-let landlord, haven't you? And if, like Lucy says, you've got a lot of, of mortgage debt, then perhaps that decision is then made for you. But it's not true of everybody, is it? No. It, it, remember, why did a lot of private landlords, smaller buy-to-let landlords, enter the market to begin with? And it was a lot about the fact that they weren't finding the returns that they were liking from the traditional investments that people might have been considering. So the stock market. And whilst the... Um, uh, the rate of return might not be great from your, your typical flat, you can leverage it. So you can get that enhanced return in a way that you won't be leveraging, for instance, a stock portfolio, or very few people would, would be taking that degree of risk with a stock portfolio. Well, obviously, rates have gone up. And with a bit of luck, we're also going to be seeing um, you know, reasonable returns from the stock market as well. So the, the relative attractiveness, which drew people into the market at the beginning of sort of after the global financial crisis, has changed. And people will change their investment habits and portfolios with that change. And so uh, I think we've been looking at the landlord survey, and a lot of it, as Lucien says, is professional landlords. These are people who understand the market very, very well. They've incorporated their companies, and so they're not dealing with one person or a family with one or two buy-to-lets, but they're dealing with uh, probably you know multiples of 10 buy-to-lets. And the result of that is it's going to be much more professionally managed, and they're going to be taking a, a more robust and realistic view about um, the ups and downs of the industry. And interestingly, there's been headlines 
recently, which have been floating the idea of rent controls. I think Wales was the latest one I saw. But the UK government has said in its the white paper you mentioned earlier, Lucia, that the government does not support rent controls. Despite that, do you think that it's going to be forced to look at rent controls as a, a likely direction to take? To a degree, you will see some of the political parties have a look at it. I think the general consensus actually across quite a wide range of people with a a very diverse range of interests in the property sector will tell you that that rent controls are not particularly effective. The risk um, is that if you combine that with the last rights being read for assured short-hold tenancies, that you you have a counterproductive impact um, and you see landlords leave the market, you end up with levels of undersupply. You know, that has some undesirable consequences. It's easier bizarrely then for rogue landlords to operate at the fringes of the industry. And I think people will be concerned about that. The fundamental reality is you need to keep a healthy supply of private rented stock. The challenges for first-time buyers to get on the housing ladder are still significant. If they can't rely on the bank of mum and dad, they are likely to be renting for longer than their parents ever were. And that continues to mean demand for private rented stock. The whole thing now is about making sure we've got enough supply to meet that demand so that you don't get some of these undesirable consequences. And I think as soon as politicians start looking at that, the penny will drop that that actually you can only go so far. And part of this has to be a supply side solution. So where do you both think that there might still be opportunities for people who aren't already in the market? Or do you think it's too late to move into buy-to-let? If you look at something like private equity, and the, the biggest reason that private equity does well is they buy in the year in which the, the, the prices are depressed and that they look like geniuses five years later. And I think that that's uh, absolutely true of the property market as well. Buying in a year in which property prices are relatively depressed means that in a few years' time, everything's become rather good. And so uh, I've been advising clients over the last few months that 2023 is an absolutely brilliant year to make sure that you know, get your finances in order, consolidate your debt, look around and be ready to move because come this autumn, there's going to be some really, really good deals out there. Lucina, are you having clients say to you, asking the question, is it too late for me to, to join the, the, the buy-to-let world? I certainly think you're going to see less new investors come to that market. I think the market is more likely to be dominated by existing landlords with quite a chunk of existing wealth behind them. You know, and we shouldn't forget that whilst the buy-to-let boom was fundamentally underpinned by the arrival of buy-to-let mortgage finance, there is a lot of equity in that market. There is a lot of wealth stored within that market. It is not as debt-reliant as some people would lead you to believe. And I think it, it really will be the diversification between the existing good quality landlords who know what they're doing, who, as James has said, has got their debt in order. You know, I think it's going to be those who either stick on what they've got or twist and buy a bit more because they sense an opportunity. I think the new entrants into buy to let are going to be thinner on the ground, if I'm absolutely honest. But is the supply there, Lucien, for anybody that would like to try their hand at, at becoming a professional landlord? Yeah, so I think one of the challenges that you then face is you're going to have to face increasingly stringent um, EPC standards. So the energy efficiency of the home, we know that it's only a matter of time before you have to have a a property which has a minimum EPC rating of C to be able to let that property. And what that will tend to do is push landlords towards newer properties. 
Um, what we have seen clearly, the house builders have seen the way the markets move. They've also seen the loss of help to buy as a consequence in a much more uncertain planning environment that we have at the moment. They have slightly put the brakes on how much they're building, but they still need to continue to keep the house building machine going. So you're still going to see a base level of development activity and the major house builders still need to sell that stuff. They still need the throughput. And I think that's probably something that will provide opportunities to these equity landlords who are using a relatively modest amount, um, a modest amount of debt. Now, what will be important for them is the stock that they select and where they look to buy. They probably don't want to be in huge competition with this new breed of institutional investor. Elsewhere, you know, if I was to make one prediction, and that continued prediction will be that there will be a fundamental undersupply of private rented stock for tenants to choose from. That stock, which is available, um, I think increasingly will go to those tenants who are probably in slightly higher socioeconomic groups who the landlords think are the better long-term bet in terms of continuing to pay the rent, meet the tenancy terms, perhaps stay there for a little bit longer. So, so it's going, I think that rental market is going to be a really interesting dynamic over the next two to three to five years. Now, we've been largely talking about the residential sector there, but as far as commercial is concerned, James, our survey found that 58% of landlords said they're looking to increase their exposure to commercial offices, and just over half said they're interested in opportunities in retail property. Did that come as a surprise to you? No, I think a number of things that are going on here which are really worthwhile noting. First of all, um, within residential property, of course, there's an enormous amount of, of emotion and emotion often makes people um, being unwilling to realize what's going on in the broader market and unwilling to, to adjust their, their prices quickly. Certainly in the commercial uh, market where we've got uh, professional landlords and professional property investors, you've got a much quicker realization of this is the way the market's changed. You've got uh, regulatory requirements requiring you to mark to market the, the value of your properties. And so any downturn gets reflected into prices much, much more rapidly than you see within the residential sector. So I think we're seeing a bit of that, and that's why we've seen significant downturns in in really um, uh, retail and office and industrial. That said, there's also a number of really big, important things going on within each of those markets. Really, in a post-pandemic world, we can look, for instance, at retail, and we can see that um, the amount of online retail has gone from about 20% to around 25%. So that that increase is being reflected right now in uh, a little bit lower footfall, particularly in high streets and uh, shopping malls, not so much in retail parks, which have actually recovered completely to their, to their levels of pre-pandemic. Uh, and that, of course, needs to be reflected in the price because of the, the square footage and, and the uh, revenues raised per square foot. Within the office one, as we were saying earlier about how people are moving out to, to homes, the value of an office, of course, is also reflected in how useful people, businesses are finding those office spaces. And uh, as we said earlier, we don't have a clear idea as to just how much people are going to be using offices. We haven't really come to a settled position. And of course, that's going to get reflected into the value of that office space as well. So whilst I think we're probably halfway through the decline in residential, I think we're probably most of the way through the decline in any sort of commercial property. So we're already looking at the bottom of the market here, and there's uh, lots of concerns still in the market, but in general, uh, there's uh, uh, more um, reason to think that we're going to be looking upwards as the economy moves up over the course of 2023 and into 2024. Are you both data guys, and it seems there's been more than the usual amount of numbers swirling around 
the sector at the moment, so I guess that, that makes you happy. We had the Royal Institution of Charter Surveyors, RICS, has just published a paper warning that more interest rate rises are unsurprisingly likely to dampen any positive trends. And James, we've just revised our interest rate predictions to 5% for the year. So are you optimistic or pessimistic about what the next 12 months holds for property? The 5% is our, our new top where we expect interest to peak, and that should come at the beginning of August. Uh, the markets are still looking for a bit more than that. I think for a number of reasons that that's unlikely to go higher than 5%, uh, including that the economy itself is, is not going to be taking off any, uh, particularly quickly. And also that it takes typically about 18 months for interest rates to be fully felt. And given that we've had a very, very rapid rise to interest rates, um, the rate rises that have already been enacted haven't really had a, a chance to be fully felt. Therefore, I think that um, we're going to peak a bit lower than people expect. And that ultimately is going to be helping the property market. Lucian, do you share that optimism? If you looked at where we were back in the autumn, we were a bit more pessimistic than James, actually around house prices. We thought that over the course of this year, they might fall by about 10%. The reality was, was that the price falls came in a bit earlier than we anticipated. And we have seen a bit more stability in the mortgage markets until recent events. I wouldn't disagree with James in terms of, I think we probably are about halfway through um, any form of price adjustment. That means you're probably within 5% of the bottom of the market. Most people who look back in history are delighted if they buy within 5% of the bottom of the market. But human nature being what it is, they're much happier to do that when the prices are on the way back up than when their prices are on the way back down. Um, so I do think you're going to see a pretty price-sensitive market over probably the period of the next 12 months. I think the real trigger for things to start to change is when people can see that realistic prospect of A, inflation being brought under control, particularly core inflation, and that allowing the Bank of England to reduce interest rates. When the Bank of England starts to reduce interest rates, you're then operating in an environment where that decision taken by the Bank of England in August last year to ease back on mortgage regulation becomes really important because it makes it easier for the recovery in prices and transaction levels to happen at that particular point. So I don't want to sit on the fence. I'm not going to say whether I'm optimistic or pessimistic. I'm going to say that I'm both at different points in the cycle for different reasons, and I think that's a happy medium. True pragmatist. Finally, what would you say that we need to keep a close eye on over the next 12 months, apart from, of course, interest rates? James? Consumer savings. Uh, And when consumers stop saving so much and look like they might be willing to dip into their longer-term accumulated savings, particularly that accumulated over the pandemic, that's a really positive sign. We know that from from behavioural economics that people do not like spending large accumulated cash amounts on day-to-day expenditure. So we expect this money to go on big ticket items. So that could be a new car, it could be a new house extension, but it also, of course, could be a new house. And so that'll be a really big positive sign for the UK economy. Lucy? Um, well, look, I've got two things. One is mortgage approvals. That tends to be a pretty good lead indicator as what's going to happen a little bit further down the line. I suspect, given what we've seen in, in the recent past, they're going to dip down again a bit before they start going um, back up. And the other one, and this is a, I suppose it's a little bit controversial, but if I wanted one lead indicator to tell me what's going to happen next, it is the RICS housing market survey. It is around 500 chartered surveyors telling you what's happening to new buyer inquiries and new stock coming to the market. But the results tend to predict pretty closely what's going to happen six months later. 
Well, thank you, Lucien and James, for your expert analysis. And thank you for listening to Handel's Bank and Insights. If you'd liked what you've heard, don't forget to rate us on the app where you're listening because it helps other people find us too. You might also want to join hundreds of others and subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss an episode. See you next time.